Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to start today with Governor Gretchen Whitmer, whose State of the State address yesterday included a number of proposals and promises. We're going to talk about tax relief, COVID, and what to do about getting schools back fully open. Then we'll talk about what she said with Rick Pluta and Lauren Gibbons, two reporters who cover the state capitol. It's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. to mental health. As always, I'll work with anyone to deliver on these kitchen table issues. Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and as always I'm glad you've joined us. That was Governor Gretchen Whitmer from her fourth State of the State speech last night. The governor used the word together many times in her speech and talked about bipartisanship an awful lot. She also highlighted a number of policies that have wide, wide support all over the legislature. That's as she kicks off a year that could decide whether she wins a second term after the November election. Governor Gretchen Whitmer joins me now to talk about her speech and what it means for the months ahead. Governor, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Good to be with you. Yeah. So despite the fact that uh, we're at or near the peak of this Omicron wave in the pandemic here in Michigan, you didn't talk much about the status of Michigan's public health response to the pandemic. I, I wonder why. Well, I did start by acknowledging, you know, some some aspects of the virus. Right. I mean, you can't ignore it. It's it's still here. It's going to be here for a while. But we can't let that be the only thing we do. We've got to continue to grit our teeth and move forward and build an economy that comes roaring back and creates real opportunity for everyone. And so we've got to keep fighting the virus and acknowledge the incredible people who've stayed on the front lines and the sad loss of 30,000 Michiganders. We also owe it to, to everyone in the state to keep trying to find common ground around issues that can help people get ahead in with all the pressures that we're confronting. So I think it's, it, we have to be able to do both. So I, I also was really thinking that you would address the hearings last week uh, at, at which it was revealed that more people died in nursing homes and long care long-term care facilities than we had acknowledged and that the state had more knowledge of that than uh, had been acknowledged before. Uh, I, I want to give you a chance to talk just about what what conclusion you think we should be drawing from what we learned last week and again whether there are things that you now think we should have done differently. Well I know that there are some politicians in Lansing that are trying to politicize this issue. But if you actually read the Auditor General's report, it says that our data was accurate. And uh, the state put the data out that we collected from the residential care facilities. The state's data was accurate, and the state followed all of the CDC guidelines. And because of it, we saved a lot of lives. Now, there's no question in this election year, there are people who are going to try to score political points on this incredible tragedy that played out globally. But we followed the CDC. We, pro we gave the data that was accurate. And we're going to continue to follow the science and listen to the experts and take, take action to keep people safe. But the narrative that some politicians want to put out there just simply isn't what was reflected in that report. And we're going to continue to hone our policies to make sure that they are focused on, on keeping people safe. 
And you say that the data was accurate, which is which is true, but but it also was misleading in the sense that it didn't quite com communicate how many people were were dying in these in these facilities. What what's the what's the answer to families whose loved ones uh, are are in those numbers and um, and you know. The, we didn't know. The, the, the data didn't tell us exactly what was happening. Well, I think, you know, we are looking at what played out globally. And the data was not the state's data. We collected the data from the residential care facilities. Right. And so I, I think that that's really important. We followed all of the guidelines by the CDC. We worked with our nursing home partners to make sure that they had preparations in the event they did bring COVID patients back into their facilities. But this virus, we know in the early days when we didn't have tools to fight it and we didn't know a lot about it, took an incredible toll on our elderly and especially people in facilities where many are housed together. So I think it's important to recognize we've, we've learned a lot in this process. We've learned a lot about this virus. We now are armed with more tools to keep people safe, but the the early data was collected at the residential level, and the state was in charge of collecting it, and we did that. Okay, I want to talk a little more about your speech and what was in it last night. Uh, you highlighted a couple of ways of effectively cutting taxes. Uh, that's, of course, as the state continues to post really big budget surpluses, which only seem to, to continue to grow. You, you pitched two things that you have supported for a really long time. One, repealing the pension tax, and the other, increasing the state portion of the earned income tax credit. Uh, Republicans have their own ideas about tax cuts, uh, broader corporate tax cuts. Uh, there's some talk about lowering the income tax uh, rate as well. Uh, talk about how open you are to negotiating with them on their plans to get some of your ideas passed as well. Well, I'm, I would like to get this done. So I think a little context is really important, though. Ten years ago, when this pension tax, retirement tax, IRA tax happened, uh, I was on the other side of it. I was fighting it because I knew this was unfair, and it was mm -hmm. a shift onto people who could bear the burden the least mm -hmm. to pay for a, a big corporate tax cut. They also cut the earned income tax credit, which helps the working, you know, people that are, are working families who are just trying to keep their head above water. They also bore the brunt of that tax shift, and that was my predecessor in the Republican legislature that increased those taxes. I've been trying since that day to defeat it and then to roll it back now that it's it's law. I am committed to this. This is the most fair way that we can give some relief to our seniors who are living on fixed incomes, who worked a lifetime, played by the rules, and then the rules got changed on them after they were out of the workforce, mm -hmm. and to help working families. We've got to lift people out of poverty, and a million children, a million children are positively impacted when we increase the earned income tax credit, and that's why these are the best ways to help people in a world that is, in, you know, increasingly squeezing them. And, and so to get that through, I mean, that's one of the issues you ran on uh, in, in 2018. You, you talked about uh, the pension tax. Here we are in 2022, an election year, um, when you, you're saying you want to you want to get it done. Again, though, Republicans are not against tax cuts, of course. <laughs> they, they like it, but this was a tax they imposed uh, uh, on people. They've got other ways they want to they lower taxes. Uh, what's the, I guess, what's the push and pull here, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Well, it, it'll be interesting to see, um, now that these proposals are on the table, the Republicans embrace them or stand in the way of uh, rolling back the retirement tax and, and helping working people. I suspect we can find some common ground here, and that's what I'm going to continue to work toward. You know, I know that this is going to be a, a political year. We, we all know that's going to happen. But that's why last night's speech, I really wanted to focus on the things that we have done together, mm -hmm. whether it is the major, massive investment that GM announced 
uh, earlier this week, $7 billion in the state, 5,000 good-paying jobs. We worked together to create the tools that helped us make that become a reality. We're putting Michigan on the map. We can find common ground. We've shown we can do it. This is another space where I'm, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to get it done. Uh, I also want to talk a little more about what you said about uh, about COVID last night. You said kids need to be in class. I'm a parent. You're a parent. I think we all want uh, want kids back in in school. Are you calling on school districts that are using virtual now to end that and bring kids back into the classroom? Is that the message you want to you want to communicate to them? Yes, and part of the message, too, is that in two weeks, I'll be introducing the budget. We're going to make uh, the largest state investment in public education in the history of our state. And I'm really excited about that. And this is how we give districts the tools they need Mm -hmm. to lower class size, to wrap the kids, the students with supports, whether it's counselors or it is social workers, to help kids uh, get back on track. This disruption of this pandemic has taken a massive toll on their academics, on their social skills, on their mental health, et cetera, as it has on all of us. We got to focus on getting them in class and back on track. 98% of our districts in Michigan are in person right now. We've got some big ones that are not. I want to work with those districts to help support them so that they can get kids back in school. And uh, no question, money has some some play over, uh, some influence over over all this. But it's also their staffing issues at at schools because of the pandemic that make it very difficult for some of these districts to to, to be in person. What's the answer? What's the answer there? I mean, yeah, you you can absolutely commit more money uh, to schools to to fight this, but. If they don't have teachers, if they don't have support staff, how can they be open? I think it is helping people go into this profession and retaining people. And you understand teachers and parapros, all the support staff that makes our schools happen, um, they've been working incredibly hard, as they always do, but even more so in the midst of this pandemic. And people are leaving the profession, just same with our, our health care. And that's why... We're really focusing. We delivered checks directly to teachers last year. We uh, made greater investments in our schools so that they could make a a good living doing this important work. And there's going to be even more investment as you see me unveil the school aid budget um, in two weeks. We're putting the final touches on that. But it really is going to have a major investment in recruitment and retention um, in the ranks of our, our educators. Yeah. Uh, Governor, you will stand for re-election this November. We don't know yet, of course, who your uh, opponent would be. But but I want to give you a chance to, to start off with what's the case that you make to voters to give you another four years? What What is uh, your message that says, hey, look, I've done this, I've done this well, and uh, I deserve an, another four years to do it? Well, as I said last night, the state of our state is strong, and we're getting stronger every day. We have navigated the whole world uh, crisis well. We see that um, we are our our GDP is growing. Two hundred twenty thousand people have gotten back into the workforce over the last twelve months. We're making historic investments in the education of our kids, in skills training. We're increasing our our workforce skills, which means bigger paychecks. So there's a lot of good stuff that is happening in Michigan. I'm not going to get caught up in all the ugliness of, of the political world right now. I'm going to stay focused on the kitchen table issues. That's what we have been doing, and that's what we're going to continue to do. We're putting our foot on the accelerator, better paying jobs, more equitable opportunity in Michigan, and um, I'm excited about what the future has for us. Okay, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, always great to have you with us here on Detroit Today. Uh, Thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you, Stephen. Okay, we're going to take a quick break.
And when we come back, we are going to talk to State Capitol reporter Rick Pluta about the speech and get your reactions to what the governor had to say last night. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. as any of us wanted. We have made progress. We're stronger, in large part thanks to science and life-saving vaccines. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. That was, again, Governor Gretchen Whitmer during her State of the State address, her fourth State of State address yesterday, talking uh, about her plans for this year, a year in which she will stand for re-election in November. Uh, I want to continue the conversation about what the governor said yesterday and what she just said to us here on the program, but we also want to hear from you. What did you think of Governor Gretchen Whitmer's State of the State speech last night? What do you think about her job performance as governor so far? Are you going to vote for the governor for re-election this November, or are you looking for someone else who might catch your attention and capture your vote? Uh, As always, we also want to hear what issues are most on your mind right now as we get ready for this election year here in Michigan. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or uh, go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work into the conversation. I want to welcome two really expert voices to the conversation right now as well. Uh, Rick Pluta is the state capitol reporter for the Michigan Public Radio Network. Rick, welcome back to Detroit. Hi, Stephen. Yeah, it's always great to have you here. And Lauren Gibbons is a reporter who covers Michigan politics and policy for MLive. Lauren, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. Okay, so both of you just heard my conversation with the governor, and of course, you heard her speech last night. Here's something that jumped out at me, a distinction between the two. In her speech last night, she, she kind of seemed to be saying, hey, it'd be great if we could get schools back open for everybody. But when I asked her about it today, she says, look, schools need to be open. And she was more forceful about it. Uh, I, I wonder what you make of this, this attention that she wants to give to, you know, the, 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 the tension between virtual learning and in-person and the, the continuing specter of COVID. Uh, is she taking a stronger stance, I guess, on this than she has before? Rick, I'll start with you. Uh, at least rhetorically, I mean, I, I think that's a, that's a good point. At least rhetorically, she's uh, taking a uh, stronger stance in terms of saying that kids should be back in school. And we know that having kids not in classrooms, not in seats, not in front of their you know, school computers, close to the library, interacting with students and structures, instructors, support staff, uh, is, isn't is optimal. It's, it's not best. It's just been the least worst option while we've been uh, dealing with uh, COVID. But uh, the reality is, is that we are moving into the management stage of uh, how we, you know, deal with the, uh, corona, uh, with the coronavirus. And I, I think that that is an acknowledgement uh, of that. What do you think, Lauren? Yeah, I think uh, it's, it, it was fascinating to hear um, in her segment just now uh, that she will be uh, discussing this uh, with some of the school districts that have chosen to either go uh, remote again or uh, have some part-time remote learning in addition to in-person. Not a lot of schools are doing this at this point. At, at, there's a lot of schools at this point that are back in person, back in the classroom, but, you know, some, some districts have made a different decision, and a lot of these decisions have been made at the local level, but we are getting to the point where parents and uh, lawmakers and, you know, a lot of, a lot of people uh, following this conversation want to send their kids back to school. So I, I see the governor's, um, the governor's stance on this and her 
you know, I guess, I guess more um, rhetorically forceful, as Rick said, comments, uh, it indicates uh, the kind of changing tides about remote learning. Mm -hmm. And I guess I also just mentioned that just another example of the governor in this speech really seeming to want to avoid uh, wedge issues that uh, Republicans are, are planning to uh, use uh, in, in this coming year and presumably in the uh, upcoming campaign. OK, so let's talk more generally about the speech that she gave last night. I thought it was a very election-minded speech, I guess, in, in a couple of ways. One, she had uh, tax cuts that she wanted to, to talk about, or, or there's the restoration of tax credits in some cases. In other words, hey, I'm going to put money in your pockets before you go to uh, vote in November. And she stressed over and over that, hey, I can work with Republicans. Here's some issues that I have been successful working with them on, and I'm willing to talk to them about these tax cuts and these other things. She did not take after uh, State Senate uh, Leader Mike Shirky, for instance, for uh, the, the, the really, I think, uh, obnoxious behavior that he's indulged over the last couple of years with regard to her uh, essentially palling around with the folks who, who threatened her life, uh, really, really outsized bad behavior. Instead, she's saying, look, we, we, we can do this together. We have done this together. I think that's all about looking toward November. Lauren, what was your reaction? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just to start the imagery that she chose uh, with that, you know, manufacturing plant in the background speaking off-site um, in the Detroit diesel plant, uh, that, that, was in, uh, uh, that was in reference to uh, her recent work with the Republican-led legislature to, uh, you know, get more investment from GM and uh, potentially entice other large-scale scale employers uh, to to invest in the state essentially, so that was one thing that she was really hammering home, trying to show that uh, she was able to work with the Republicans. Um, I think you know it, it she's she's going after uh, some low hanging fruit here, um, and with with the uh, retirement tax uh, proposed cuts, um, that's something that you know it sounded like a lot of Republicans. But get on board with. Although you're seeing um, in, in several Republicans yesterday that you know they'd like to see more broad tax relief, especially considering uh, good news uh, coming from the state revenue side of things. Uh, you know the state has billions of dollars in surplus right now. Uh, obviously, that's not something that we can count on going forward. But a lot of Republicans are seeing that and saying, "Hey, maybe we can do more here." Uh, Rick, what what did you think of the tone and the approach of this of this speech? Um, the governor was very soft in her uh, delivery. Um, you know, it's it's. I guess this would be the the you know ear version of optics. But uh, yeah, she was very um, soft in her delivery. That it wasn't the. Um, fiery Whitmer, and we know that she can summon that up depending on the uh, circumstances. And there were even some, like a, a couple of wedge issues that she talked about the Oxford school shootings, for example, but didn't bring up any type of gun control, that she talked about abortion without ever bringing up abortion rights or a woman's right to choose. She just spoke, I, I somewhat obliquely in my opinion, about choice and that she would veto any bill sent to her that would limit choice, presumably because she didn't say it directly, um, referring to the U.S. Supreme Court decision and the very real possibility that Roe v. Wade will be reversed and not mentioning that if Roe v. Wade is reversed, that Michigan will automatically revert to an abortion ban and you know wouldn't be subject to a, a, a governor's veto in this instance, which, by the way, we should also point out, has not stopped some Republicans from still saber-rattling and saying they want to send her a bill just to uh, double down on that. But it's not something that we expect would have a practical effect if Roe is, in fact, overturned. Yeah. 
Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to social media and put comments there, and we'll try to include you in the conversation that way. Uh, let's go to Jerry in Detroit. Jerry, what's on your mind? Good morning, Stephen. Hey. Um, um, all in all, after listening to, um, to, the, um, to the governor's state of the state address, I think she's done a pretty good job as a governor. Um, I only wish that that while she was while she was here doing your interview with you with you, if you had asked her what she thought of um, her possible Republican challenger, who I who I tend to call the, the David Clark Jr. of Detroit, um, um, James Craig, and what she thought thought about his challenge. Uh, great question, um, uh, Lauren and Rick. What do you think? I guess I'll jump in. Um, it wouldn't typically in a state of the state address, and, and we do agree, you know, chime in if you think I'm wrong, that this was in, in many respects a, a re-election state of the state address. And, and I mean, you can't take the politics out of politics, but this would not be a forum for this governor or any governor to use to directly attack uh political opponents, you know, people that you expect to be in the ballot. And two, just as a practical, tactical matter, why would you give um, James Craig or any other opponent the juice of mentioning them in a uh, speech like that? That uh, if you're an incumbent governor, you kind of want to go around almost ignoring the fact that uh, there are challengers who just don't have the stature that uh, 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 that you have. And uh, Lauren, waiting for you to argue with me. <laughs> oh, well, I, I don't think I, I plan to argue. I, I, I agree in the sense that, uh, you know, this, this moment is typically policy-oriented, although it is interesting to point out she, uh, she didn't mention any Republicans' names. Frankly, she didn't mention a lot of names at all. Um, she did... Uh, she did memorialize uh, the victims of the Oxford shooting at the beginning. There were a few other examples throughout the speech of, of various things, but she wasn't calling out dignitaries. Uh, she wasn't, uh, you know, talking about elected officials that she worked with necessarily. This was more focused on the policies as opposed to the people. So she wasn't necessarily saying, Hey, you know, I worked really closely with Republicans on auto insurance changes. Um, she was saying, we got this done, which is a little bit of a different message. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Jerry, thanks very much for the call uh, and the comments. Let's go to Kelly in Plymouth. Kelly, welcome to the show. Hey. Um, I'm just uh, very disappointed in the governor's scorecard on the auto no-fault law. She has systematically... Um, dismantled the entire system, and it's quite a shame. Um, I think everyone can recognize that a mistake was made on Mackinac Island, and I think that true leadership is recognizing a mistake and fixing it. Hmm. And I'm just not seeing her stand, step up to the plate to to make change. Kelly, great great issue to to raise, and it's one we did not hear from the governor about at, at, during the speech last night, uh, Rick Pluta, what's, what's, the, what's the reason she won't talk about this? What's the reason not to take another stab at auto insurance reform to fix what I think almost everybody now agrees was probably a big mistake? I, a very intriguing question that I don't have a perfect answer for, except that she didn't want to go there because of the of the controversy. And both the governor and um, at least some of the Republican leadership in the legislature have said that this isn't working um, entirely as we had hoped, that there are positive aspects that auto insurance rates, especially in places like Detroit, have gone down, but that there are some things that need to be fixed. And that could have been a moment to, you know, make a call for action to return to the table and, uh, uh, and, and make some adjustments. And we did not hear that for some reason. And my suspicion is that it's because that would have been an opportunity for actually, you know, both 
ends of the spectrum to complain that governor wasn't sticking by the decision that she made to sign the bill on one end and on the other end that uh, you know the, the, that she wouldn't acknowledge that it was a mistake in the first place and try to restore the system as it was which which is not going to happen yeah uh, Lauren what do you think yeah, I mean, this is an issue I've been following pretty closely, and uh, I, I've been hearing, uh, you know, from so many um, who, one, are concerned about uh, how the catastrophically injured are, um, you know, suffering from some of these changes. But then you're also hearing from people who say, well, maybe it's gone down a little bit, but I'm still paying a lot of money for car insurance. And experts who studied this have said, you know, in Detroit, and other areas with high minority populations are still paying on average more for their car insurance than other people across the state. So it's, it's still, uh, still a major issue. I think you're starting to see a lot of people wondering whether this, um, you know, whether this massive bipartisan overhaul really did that much in terms of changing, uh, in terms of making auto insurance better for Michigan. And it's hard for the governor and it's hard for the legislative Republicans who really pushed for this change to say, well, maybe it didn't work because that was one of their marquee bipartisan achievements. Um, so I would imagine that that's part of the reason it didn't come up more uh, during the state of state. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, Kelly, really appreciate the call and uh, the you raising that important issue. Let's go to Gene in Detroit. Gene, what's on your mind? Uh, good morning, Stephen. I'd like to ask your guests about the promises that uh, the Whitmer administration made four years ago to dissolve the Financial Review Commission and to stop taxing the pensions of Detroit City retirees and when they think that uh, she's going to follow through on those commitments. Hmm. Uh, good question, Gene. Uh, Lauren, I'll, I'll you start this time. Yeah, I think um, I think that's a great question. And during the state of the state, it did sound as though she is really trying to get that through. Uh, it was uh, she spent a lot of time on it in her 26 minute speech, um, comparatively. So I think that's something that she believes uh, she can work with Republicans on. Um, and, and it did seem as though a lot of Republicans were open uh, to that to that change and potentially uh, work together on this. However, I do think a lot of Republicans will want to, you know, perhaps go further in terms of tax cuts. So it's unclear whether the administration would, um, you know, work with Republicans. But it, it does seem as though both the administration and uh, Republicans are are open to compromising on this issue. That said, uh, it is an election year, and it it could get complicated as some of these races uh, get more competitive. Yeah, uh, Rick, what about the this pension question? Well, I I think Lauren touched on something really important, which is the zero sum nature of negotiations, um, especially in an election year. That uh, is this going to be a case of we can't win if they can't lose on, uh, on on both sides of this, but especially on the on the Republican side, since the governor has already proposed this. And it seems to me that the biggest danger in this situation of uh, of a pension tax repeal would be the one-upsmanship that we're seeing. That you say pension tax, well, we say income tax, and we say income tax at this level, and we can start arguing about uh, different types of deductions, and that what we saw, I think probably everybody you know, on this panel got the same tsunami of press releases where Republican responses uh, very much veered towards the, well, she stole our idea, or this isn't enough. We need to go further. We have a lot to work with. You know, this is the time to deliver quote unquote tax relief to, uh, you know, working Michigan families. And so I, I think the biggest danger to deal making in this environment is uh, um, people going more, 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 more. Yeah, yeah. Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Daniel in Detroit. Daniel, welcome to the show. 
thanks for having me on again. You know, my, my wife is a school teacher, and she's been teaching for a number of years. She got into um, the benefit packages before they got all cut. And, um, you know, so she is her retirement is pretty set for her if there's a retirement when she gets there. My question is, the, um, when, the, when the mortgage crisis hit and all the belt tightening happened across the state, the teachers union and the teachers got really whacked in the pay department. Their starting salaries went down to around $40,000 a year. Their benefit package, they're paying 50% of their health care. They've now got a 401k. They no longer have a pension plan for these teachers. We're having an extreme teacher shortage right now. Does the governor plan to boost this back up and take care of these teachers? Because our kids, education is the absolute most important thing to the future of this country. Hmm. Uh, Daniel, really appreciate the call and the really passionate, the really passionate uh, issue there. Uh, Rick, what's, what's the answer to Daniel? Well, my sense from the speech is that the governor's focus, and to some degree the legislature as well, is more on luring uh, young people into the teaching profession rather than directly confronting this this morass that would be trying to overhaul uh, you know what happened with teacher retirement and, and public employee retirement plans. Um, and uh, and pensions. So I, I think it's more in that direction, which is we'll help you pay for school, we'll give you bonuses, things like that, than um, directly confronting uh, pensions. Yeah, uh, Lauren. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a great point to bring up uh, because you are seeing uh, teachers who have been putting up with you know having having among one of the more difficult jobs during the pandemic of trying to learn how to teach kids remotely of having to navigate this course of getting back to in person school making sure they're safe making sure their students are safe and you know i i think uh, they are bringing up these points that you know it's not not easy we're not getting paid very much um and and i think that is a key component of of moving forward and addressing these shortages, especially uh, as as the push for you know safe in-person learning during a pandemic uh, gets louder. Um, you know, a lot of teachers are very concerned about this, and I think that's something the legislature and the governor are going to have to be cognizant of. Yeah. Okay, let's and, take and just don't take, oh, yeah, that, go ahead, Rick, go ahead, don't take Rick. what I said earlier to suggest that I don't think that nothing is going to happen on the uh, pension tax. I think it is. I was just and, and Lauren did a great job of you know pointing out that it's just that this is a lot more complicated than just dealing with that particular aspect. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Rick Pluta and Lauren Gibbons about the governor's state of the state address and her policy initiatives for the year. We want to continue to hear from you on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put your comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about Governor Gretchen Whitmer and her State of the State address yesterday, what she said, what she said she would like to do in the months ahead. My guests are Rick Pluta, state capital reporter for the Michigan Public Radio Network, and Lauren Gibbons, who covers the state capital for M Live. Uh, if you would like to join the conversation, Call and tell us what your reaction was to what the governor said. What do you think of the job that she's done over the last three years? Are you going to vote for her in November when she stands for re-election? Or are you looking to find another candidate, maybe one of the Republican hopefuls who have already said 
that they want to challenge her. Maybe some, one of those folks has got your attention and your interest. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Rick and Lauren, I do want to talk about this, the prospect of working with Republicans on some of the things that the governor talked about. I asked her in the interview today whether she was willing to give some ground on tax proposals that the Republicans have in mind. Corporate taxes, of course, are always a focus for them. They also would love to lower the income tax to 3.9 percent, I think, is the number that they have in mind. How likely is it that she will be able to negotiate with them in an election year uh, to get some of these things done. Uh, Lauren, what do you think? I think I think it's possible. Um, it is an election year, so that that's obviously a factor in terms of you know in terms of how well uh, they can ultimately work together. Um, it it just kind of depends on on what the parameters of the conversation are. You know what. Uh, what ground the administration is ultimately willing to give. Um, it, it's, it will be interesting because, you know, some of, especially when it comes to some of these other uh, tax arenas that um, Republicans mentioned the governor didn't, um, they were citing, you know, the, the state's rosy financial picture. Uh, some of the state revenues uh, are higher than, uh, it's frankly historic highs um, at this point, uh, partly due to, um, you know, pandemic aid uh, in the last couple of years. Hmm. So that is that is not funding that the state can necessarily rely on. So, you know, as Republicans put forward proposals for other possible tax cuts, I think we're going to hear a lot from fiscal experts um, and, and see how that might affect the state's pocketbooks moving forward when we can't rely on this one-time surplus. Um, so, so it really, you know, comes down to, I think, uh, a numbers game at this point. Yeah. Uh, Rick, what's, uh, what's the chance that she can get this done? Well, I, I guess I'd point out that uh, Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky, who is a conservative by just about any measure, was pretty coy about signing on to the 3.9% income tax number. He said it was something worth discussing, um, at least within the Senate Republican caucus, but he wasn't ready to go there. And um, Lauren is, is, is right, of course, about you know a lot of this windfall that the state is seeing is from one-time funds, which means that if we commit that to some kind of ongoing uh, tax cut, that at some point, at some point, that well is going to run dry, and then either that revenue is going to have to come from somewhere, or we're going to have to look at cutting state services that even though conservatives will complain about big government, a lot of those services do affect Republican areas of the, uh, you know, of the state. And so there's going to be a reluctance to cut those uh, uh, services. And I guess another thing that comes to mind is this could open the door once again to a tax overhaul in Michigan that we're very, very reliant on income taxes and, um, not um, so much uh, the sales tax on stuff, but we don't tax services as we're moving more and more into a services economy. And conservatives and Republicans and even a lot of Democrats will no doubt resist. But this is going to reopen the um, the discussion on whether or not we should be spreading the uh, sales tax burden more widely across all sectors of the economy. Yeah. yeah. And, and Go and ahead, That actually brings up a really good point, uh, because over the last couple of years, when services uh, we're so restricted during the pandemic. Michigan's sales tax right now is booming. That's part of the reason we have a, such a, such a big revenue surplus. Um, so I don't. I, I think economic experts don't necessarily know uh, where that's going in the future. Whether it will rebound, or I, I think a lot of people are kind of expecting it not to be quite so high as it has been over the last couple of years. But 
yeah, uh, the changes in consumer trends when it comes to sales tax could be a factor here. Mm-hmm. So when yeah, people ahead, stop doing all that online purchasing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so let's talk about the field here, the, the people who want Governor Whitmer's job and will have a chance to make their case to voters uh, this year. What kind of threat does she face? And uh, what are the things that she might be challenged to answer for, I guess, uh, by, by her opponents? Uh, Lauren, what do you think? I think the biggest uh, factor here continues to be uh, the COVID-19 response, and that hasn't gone away. A lot of people still remember those restrictions. Uh, Republicans really hammered on it, and you know um, that that was uh, where a lot of the uh, a lot of the um, you know groundswell of support, um, you know, at these protests and uh, throughout the pandemic, that that came you know from an anger about these COVID-19 restrictions. So. I think that's going to continue to be, um, you know, a thread in these conversations. The pandemic isn't going away. Of course, uh, the administration has not restricted activities um, for quite some time at this point, but, you know, it's still, it's still not that far removed. Um, and obviously it came under the Whitmer administration. So I would imagine that to continue to be um, a major piece that the governor, you know, didn't, didn't hit on too much uh, during her state of state address, but will have to answer for on the campaign trail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rick, what, what's the field beginning to look like and how successful could it be? Well, I mean, there are a lot of elements that go into this equation, and certainly the speech we heard last night was one that was not really meant to uh, meant to roil the waters. Um, on the one hand, we have a Democratic president, which means that uh, Democrats tend to suffer. Uh, that tends to be lower on the ballot than in the statewide races, but it's certainly not unheard of, and it's certainly not um, unheard of in Michigan because it is still, nevertheless, difficult to dislodge an incumbent in part because of all the powers that come with it, that everything that a governor does is news, whereas everything that a challenger candidate does is political. Um, and so, you know, there's there's that to figure into it as well. So what are Republicans? Lo- and, and we've got the uncertainties that, you know, we've already witnessed versus the path that uh, COVID and its uh, and its variants take. So the governor is looking to show strong, stable leadership that uh, even in uncertain times, there's been a steady improvement, both in terms of the threat posed by the virus and the um, its effect on uh, schools and the economy. Republicans are going to continue looking to um, exploit essentially that uh, that uncertainty and find some way where the uh path to recovery takes an unexpected turn and then asking the question why weren't we ready for this yeah yeah i mean in some ways uh, she's got such an advantage this year because of the economic situation i mean uh, tax receipts going up and and all the revenue from from uh, the federal government, you would think that it's a sweet spot from which to to run for re-election. Think of the last time a governor and incumbent governor had this kind of uh, had this kind of teed up opportunity. Um, but but there are all of these things. That, John Engler. Uh, John Engler, right? Uh, yeah. I was going to say. I mean, uh, really, it's been that's that's almost a generation ago, right? Um, but but there are all all of these differences now, and there are you know you've got this pandemic that is still such a wild card um, that I that I wonder if uh, you know if it's as if it's as easy as it seems. Um, um, well, and that's why we're hearing right now inflation, 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 inflation. It's uh, it's like a drumbeat from the Republican side of the aisle. Um, Lauren, what's what's your last thoughts about uh, what what we will see this year uh, from the governor? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we'll continue to see, uh, you know, at least from you know the the policy perspective, um, continue to see efforts to have these bipartisan uh, conversations. Uh, we'll see her budget proposal very soon. See uh, what what uh, specifics uh, she's hoping to accomplish. Uh, with her, you know, it promised uh, 
record high investment in edu- education. I would be on the lookout for that. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's one of the main things that we'll all be watching in the coming months is just how um, how the administration and the Republicans uh, work together uh, as as we settle into these new district lines, as the governor starts ramping up for elections, as, as the Republican field begins to whittle down a bit more. Um, all of these are factors in whether uh, elected officials can come up with good policy. Hmm. Okay. Lauren Gibbons and Rick Pluta. It was really great to have both of you here to talk about the governor's speech and her plans for the day. Thanks so much for coming by. Oh, so great to be here with all of you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay. That's going to do it for us today. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer and by Sam Corey, our program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan, and our associate producers are Amanda Duran and Chantel Phillips. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.